Nightcaps of the Living Dead. Gremlins Boosy Holiday. So it's the holidays, and while we recommend Silent Night, Deadly Night 2 viewing this time of year, today Dr. G and I are celebrating chaotic consumerism with Gremlins! Yes! It's Garbage Day! Different movie, but today we're talking about the classic by Mr. Joe Dante from Joe Dante. 1985. Uh-uh! Uh-uh! Oh, wait, it's 84! 84! Fuck, 1984. <laughs> Gremlins. <laughs> okay, so I, I do, the only reason why I know it's 1984 is because I went on a tear. 1984, okay, is the new 1992, whenever you and I were like yes. tripping out about what a time to be alive in a movie theater. 1984. Any movie that you loved as a child came out in 84. Terminator, Footloose. Um, 1980, uh, Nightmare on Elm Street. Uh, oh, yeah. I put that in caps in my, I was like, Guillermo's <laughs> going to get me. Nightmare on Elm Street. <laughs> Nightmare on Elm um, What else was happening? And it's kind of a turning point in horror because I think it's when it turns from that kind of thing that was established by Halloween in 78, mm-hmm. where it was like Halloween, which led into Friday the 13th and like the early 80s. And the slasher was this thing. And then in comes 84. It's like now Spielberg's 80s, right? So it's been a couple of years since E.T. and mm-hmm. Poltergeist, right? Mm-hmm. Which is 82. But it it, it kind of takes over the horror genre with Nightmare on Elm Street and with this more fantastical. Right. It, it was a fantasy moment. And, and I had this second while watching, like, guys, I watch Gremlins. I want to say every other year I, I've watched it on repeat ever since I was a child. I know this movie like the back of my hand and I didn't think it was that deep. It's just more fun, but I did pick up a few themes whenever, you know, on this rewatch. But oh, um, a little bit of social commentary going on by Mr. Dante. By Mr. Right? Dante and our, our buddy boy Spielberg is doing yes. his, what he did on the poltergeist about like, guys, it's eighties capitalism. We should be ashamed. It, it is. Yep. It's rampant in Gremlins, and I and here I just thought it was a bunch of little monsters wreaking havoc. But um, I, once again, eighty four. We have Karate Kid, and we mm-hmm. have Children of the Corn. We have Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. The MPAA um, created the PG thirteen rating because of Temple oh, of Doom and well, Gremlins this year. They're like it's for kids, but it's also very violent and scary. So these two Spielberg movies gave us the PG-13 rating. When did Big Trouble in Little China come out? Is oh. it also this year? Because oh that's gosh. a very... Let's look it this up. This is John Carpenter's classic that is not quite a horror movie. It's more like a fun action comedy. And it's very, I think, influenced... 86. 86. It's influenced by Gremlins. Okay, good. Okay. That's what I thought. So it's part of this like second wave oh, of fantasy and action horror. Interesting. And do you think, it's so funny, because Spielberg, do you think that he went in this one direction of saying, okay, we have Jaws, we got the fish, E.T., we got the alien, here we got our little monsters, our Furbies that go to hell, and then dinosaurs, and now I'm going to do the Holocaust. I'm going to do Munich and (laughs) just do human stuff. (laughs) But you know what? You just mentioned something. One of the notes that I made while watching this movie, I was like, this is fucking the precursor to Jurassic Park. This is very Jurassic Park to me. It is. Okay, good. I was like, and I had all these connections to Jurassic Park and we will discuss why. I want to hear more about your Jurassic Park theories. Yes. Um, Let's just jump into, guys, just so you know, it's our holiday boozy party. That's what we're doing. I'm on Prosecco. G's on some red wine. We're just going to talk about gremlins. Relive our childhood. So the movie opens, and it shocks me every time. I've seen this repeatedly. I always forget it opens with this noir voiceover. Mm-hmm. Yep. He's, he's walking through Chinatown. and Chinatown, you know, and it brings us the Polanski movie, and it's just like this whole mood. Yeah. <laughs> right? And also, what, what is this guy doing following kids into stores? I mean, a little, 
little questionable. <laughs> With his little t- gadgets. Yeah. Mr. Inspector Gadget Dad. <laughs> Where he's always pitching people like he's on an episode of Shark Tank. <laughs> yes. <laughs> he just always has a new idea, a new invention that never works, which also goes into the theme of capitalism of just, uh, we're, we're insufferable with how much we market to children and, and moviegoers. So um, he follows a total prototype of short round into Chinatown, into this little, he has the, the New York Yankees cap and, and everything goes in there and um, goes to his grandfather. Grandfather's like, Mogwai's not for sale, blah, blah, blah. Dad goes over, he hears like the muffling and the weird sound and he's just like, I want it. And this very entitled, I've been looking for this for my kid. Also, Christmas is around the corner. You're just now looking for a present for your kid. You suck. <laughs> and then he's like, it's exactly what I'm looking for. You don't know what you're looking for. It's in a box. You haven't really seen it. It's like a, you were looking for exotic animals for your child. Like what? That you've never seen before in the whole wide world. Yeah. <laughs> right. And, and so and it's so interesting that it starts off in this 40s vibe and then goes to very 80s capitalist America of entitled of here's my money I'll take that and the guy's like no 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 not for sale not for sale not for sale and he does kind of this back-end deal with the kid Mm -hmm. and then takes the revoltingly cute mogwai home to gizmo (laughs) (laughs) which as you know I think you know this I have not one, but two little gizmos, not, not alive, of course, but um, like little stuffed animal gizmos that they actually, their, their eyes light up and they sing that. <laughs> I love them. I was obsessed with this movie as a kid, if you can't tell. Um, so Gizmo, voiced by Howie Mandel and the Gremlins, the Gremlin voices are voiced by Michael Winslow of Police Academy fame. Yes. Um, lots of fun voiceovers going on in this. So the dad takes home adorable gizmo to Billy. This very wait, but before oh, before yeah. we please, go there, please go before for, we go, go, for go there, I want to discuss the representation of Asian culture in at the beginning of this movie because it brought me back to oh, this was a thing. I remember it, when I was a little kid, it was all about going to karate classes karate kid came out this year too with pat morita and that character mm-hmm. and so it was all and i was in like karate classes and this was like a big deal with you were kids. karate classes and yes i was stop like, it i didn't well, know i was this. terrible at it but i, I was were you dance karate you're just yes. like mm. <laughs> but and then i remember like nightmare on elm street 4 they had that whole karate sequence karate was big and with the nunchucks and then, like, Alice at the end uses the nunchucks to kill Freddy. And it's like this, it's used this whole martial arts craze, specifically with karate in the 80s, it was a big deal. It was a big part of my childhood in Puerto Rico. Hmm. And it was it was in movies everywhere at the time. So when I was watching this again, I saw this, oh, this very noir opening in Chinatown. I was like, oh, how do I feel about the representation of Asian culture in this movie is a problem, like with our 2022 lens, mm-hmm. where we're hyper aware of representation of of other cultures and how there's been like stereotypes, stereotyping, and mm-hmm. and stuff like that. So I was like, oh, how do we feel about this? And then I started thinking, oh, there was always an Asian character, like in Goonies and stuff like that. So like, I don't know. I'm, I want to open the table. Do, do we do we feel weirdly about it or is it just like okay it's there it's like it's where the mogwai comes from i do want to know why this exotic animal was in this seedy shop in chinatown it, it is interesting to to think about i mean i guess you just go downtown to a major city you're like i can find something strange down here you know and and i'm gonna get even darker okay well as we now very well know COVID-19 came out of one of those illegal... Um, oh, yeah. the uh, What are the illegal markets where they use, like, animals in, in mm. an illegal way? I don't know exactly how they work, but that's where the, the disease came from. And mm-hmm. for some reason, my mind went to that, too. Well, yeah, yeah. Cause... And I was like, oh, my God. And then the racism that was experienced as a result. Mm-hmm. And so all of these shit came into my head as I started watching this, like, not very deep movie, very fun <laughs> Christmas movie. I was like, oh, and I remember that this was like our initial intent with this podcast was to revisit movies with the 2020 yeah, lens, right? Yeah, and it does take so you I, there for sure. So I, it took me there. It took me there, and so it started made me think about 
how certain minorities were represented in the 80s because they were very present mm-hmm. in in these films back then. And I just, I don't know, I just thought about that. Well, no, and, and you have Spielberg who, as we know, he's he's very cognizant of representation. Yes. And, and I think that he probably had to do a few battles of, you know, bringing a black actor, bringing an Asian actor. I mean, movies were very, very white in the 80s. So it's interesting. They're not like... The grandfather is actually a character that is respected. Well, no, yes. I don't. He's... I don't think. Okay, so I think you kind of saw. I don't. I didn't. When I even at the, skipping a little bit ahead to the end, but it's almost like the representation is. I mean, it's a whimsical fantasy representation, right? There's a lot of colors in this movie, and a lot of like fantasy lighting mm-hmm. but it's not a bad one it's like respect well, our culture but, but it is a stereotype I told you <laughs> but it is a stereotype for sure because it's just like back in the, the day we had the magical negro you yes. know like yeah. here guide us poor white people we're so up our own asses like we need somebody to really show us about suffering and then also in this same vein we have the mystical um asian teacher so it's interesting. Yes. It's still which a is the Pat Morita in, in, in Karate in Kid, yeah, Karate Kid. But also on this viewing, I took it as it, it's a bookend. The beginning, he's like, no, 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 with with the Mogwai, which in in Cantonese it means demon. <laughs> Little Gizmo's a fucking demon. <laughs> oh, I did not know that. Yeah, oh shit. I didn't okay. Either. And and he's like, oh, with Mogwai comes much responsibility. He's like, nope, nope, not for sale, not for sale. And then at the end, he chastises him. I'm just like, no, you did this behind my back. No, give me back this this little guy. No. And he, he's still respectful about everything, but he's just like, you're, you're not ready for it. I took it as Spielberg on his poltergeist bucket. He's saying America's a young country. This is all about consumerism. With each generation, you get more and more terrible. Get your heads out of your own asses. You're not ready for this shit yet. <laughs> That's what I <laughs> took it as. Interesting. You're yeah. not ready to have the... So I'm going to one-up you on that. All because right. my, my other crazy reading, other than capitalism, which I think it's, it's definitely a, like the biggest theme, mm-hmm. was, and it was like, this is very much... And this is where the Jurassic Park thing comes in. Mm-hmm. It's very much a movie about an environmental movie. Mm-hmm. It's 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 about the dangers of what we're doing to the planet and because of our capitalism, right? Mm-hmm. And because the U.S. is kind of the leader of the capitalist world in the 20th century, mm-hmm. right? And then here is this Eastern culture comes in and it's like, you're going to fuck up the planet. Mm. And so I read the whole like water on the gremlins and the, 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 the kind of reproductive craziness oh, as this as disease spreading because of the effects of capitalism and the, the effects on the environment and again covid was all over my viewing of this because it's like it's the spreading of covid and because the movie takes place in like a winter wonderland right. town also day after tomorrow vibes like it's hmm. to me it's like oh this is this is a jurassic park warning against fucking with the environment and fucking with nature oh wow and manipulating nature to your gain to your economic gain that then it's going to create some sort of disaster which is where we are right now we like you have to be very careful with nature respect nature and the eastern cultures are very respectful yes, of nature. Yes. So it's a chain reaction because you stop respecting the earth and then society goes out of hand and then we don't give a shit about how we treat each other, which is demonstrated in the movie. We have different classes of people and, and granted it's a very white movie. It, there's different treatment towards different people of economic status in the entire yes. movie. And yes. Yeah. Especially I, with the, the rich the rich real estate lady, right? I have thoughts on this real estate lady. Before, I thought that she was, you know, supposed to be demonstrated as this wicked witch character. Like, I'll get your dog, too, thing that we're all kind of conditioned mm-hmm. to hate. But honestly, after viewing the movie, Billy was irresponsible with Gizmo on day one and on day two. 
Gizmo was getting fucked up in the first 48 hours of him owning yep. him. And I thought, oh, this lady, you know, she doesn't care about, you know, this this poor mother with two children begging on the street. Like, we see that she's, the, the real estate lady is a piece of shit, a real Karen. And she goes in and tells off Billy, the hero. She's like, oh, your dog came and, and killed my snowman, yada, yada, yada. And so we're immediately on Billy's side. He seems sweet. However, seeing... That he fucked up Gizmo in retrospect. I'm like, he's a bad dog owner. That dog is on mm-hmm. her. It's like Kyle Richards' dogs. Like they're they're terrible dogs. <laughs> like she she lets them yes. do whatever the fuck they want. Like no. <laughs> so I'm kind of on their side. And, and the way he reacts to everything that happens, like when the when the, the oh, procreation so goes down, he's so he's like, coddled. Oh. 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 <laughs> He's like, oh, you don't like Christmas and why not? It's like, well, your parents are still together and you're only child and you're upper middle class. So good for you, Billy. <laughs> anyway, so day one, Gizmo gets fucked up. And um, and also, oh, when viewing this, Jack paused it and he's like, do you have this memory of a voiceover of them explaining the rules? The kid's like, hey, mister, number one, you can't feed them after midnight. Bright light will kill them. It wouldn't, you know, this thing. Yeah, no, I did not. Ha- I have the same reaction. I was very confused. I paused. I did the same thing. Did you really? Yes. It was like a Mandela yes. effect. I, I, for some reason, I imagined the grandfather telling him this, but it doesn't make sense because he got the Mogwai on the sly from the kid. But I did not remember it being a voiceover. I really thought it was some dramatic telling of the rules. But instead, it's in that same weird noir voiceover in the beginning. So, yeah, yep. so I had the same reaction. I was like, I thought this was this re edited? Is this, is there okay. a director's cut? Interesting. <laughs> okay, we had the same reaction. That's so interesting to me. Um, so then we, we cut to the dad giving Gizmo to Billy, and then he haphazardly says, Oh, yeah, so uh, there's these rules like, don't do this, don't do that, don't do that. Like, he, he could give a shit. And then Billy doesn't really take those rules so severely into consideration. He kind of fucks up, shows him. Gizmo's like reflection in the mirror, the bright light gets in his eyes, all this other stuff. And also with establishing these rules within the first 10 minutes of the movie, I realized this is a monster movie. It's it's telling you out yep. the bat, don't do this shit. Bad shit's going to happen. Again, Jurassic Park. Yeah. It's a very much a Jurassic I Park structure. I love your Jurassic Park reading. That's, I only got a little bit of it, but now that you say it, I can definitely. Hmm. Yeah, they're like dinosaurs run amok. Oh, but they're fun. They're like West Hollywood dinosaurs. (laughs) They are you and me after 2 (laughs) a.m. Exactly. Don't feed us chicken thingies after 10, after midnight. And they specifically eat chicken thingies. Like, they're like, oh, this is is our our memoir. Chicken. (laughs) So, um, from the French market. Well, then Corey Feldman. Comes into the picture, little Corey Feldman. Is this what is this? This is pre Lost Boys, right? Yes, yes. It's a and, couple years before. And I read that Corey actually got cut from ET. That apparently ET was supposed to <gasps> he have. He was an ET too. See, I don't know if he was already cast, but from what I read, um, ET was supposed to have a best friend, a best buddy boy. But it's like, here he has Elliot. Here he has Elliot and Drew Barrymore. And then they felt that that character was not needed. So I don't know if they actually shot the scenes or if Corey was cast. And then they said, eh, you know, rewrite. So yeah, so Spielberg was like, Corey, like, you're so great. I'm going to put you in this. And he was fantastic. He's such a little natural. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Corey Feldman is everywhere. I know. So Corey Feldman comes over and he plays with Gizmo for a second. And then, of course, Gizmo gets assaulted (laughs) accidentally. But but like he knocks over some water and then we see that crazy chilling effect where little balloon like furry, furry balls start popping out of his back. He's screaming. And and... All of the gremlins are born. Yes. And they're like little mogwais. All the pre-gremlins. All yes. the mogwais. They're mogwais. Yes. But they're asshole mogwais. <laughs> so this is where I read into, like, this is the next generation. So we have this new generation of little mogwais, and they're just too much. They're very tempestuous. They're all sleeping together. They're so cute. And you're like, okay, this is still cute. Like, there's a lot of them. It's been duplicated over and over again uh-huh. and then 
they start fucking with the dog. The chicken sings. Yes, and they they, they chew the, the clock wire to be like, we're hungry. And Billy's like, oh, okay, gee golly, I'm just going to feed you. And I love that he asks Gizmo, he's just like, do you want some chicken? He's like, no. And he goes oh, back Gizmo to reading. Gizmo knows what's up. Yeah, Gizmo's he knows smart. What's up. He's, he's smart. So we have, you know, like eight or nine little mogwais and Stripe, the leader. Yes. I love Stripe. He's like the little bad boy leader of them all. And um, I read that in earlier drafts, they thought about making Gizmo and Stripe the same person, kind of like a Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Oh. Yeah. Or Jekyll and Hyde situation. Um, And then they thought, no, we want the audience to root for a good guy. We want to show that there's a good character in this breed. The little Mogwai's eat chicken and... This has sat with me my entire childhood when they're just like the close-ups of these little animatronics yes. eating it and the grease is everywhere. And it just reminds me now of all these TikTok influencers that are like the new Dewar lip glow and all this like over grease lipstick shit that's going on. <laughs> I'm just like, it's TikTok. Everybody's like greasing up their fucking lips. It looks so weird. <laughs> so they then they turn into alien and then the movie turns into alien, Ridley Scott's alien, and they go into cocoons. That's true. Right? Oh yeah. They go alien. into cocoons. And then they're all like nonchalant. There's cocoons in the attic. Okay. The mom is so nonchalant. And I love how she's always trying her husband's inventions that never work. Like the <laughs> Like the the orange juice presser that like goes blows up crazy. Uh, all this and there's that funsy with Corey pitches, and then the coffee machine, and it's just like it's the it's it's totally like an allegory for like the the capitalist man trying to make it, <laughs> which still exists today. Like it's the venture capital, the the people who are trying to be entrepreneurs, right? Well, I'm gonna open a business. I'm gonna get my own thing. Even now, the Insta fame, the influencers yeah this is what this is this exists today oh for sure but it's also twisted in such a strange way um without sounding like a get off my lawn kind of person i i never comment i never comment on instagram on other people's things especially in a negative manner however i got really annoyed one day because this one guy i was just like scrolling through and this guy said Hey, y'all, because everybody's so interested in my famous egg sandwich, I'm going to teach you how to make it. I'm like, I like an egg sandwich. Okay, let me see what's up. And it was an egg salad sandwich. And the only thing he did, he boiled the eggs and he put the yolks in one bowl and the egg whites in another bowl. He segregated the eggs, okay? And, And then he mixed them. So what, what's the fucking purpose of that? They're going to get mixed again. Wait, he makes them, he just separated them? And he then separated, them and he boiled the eggs. That was special? Yes. That was his eggs. And I was like, so you made an egg salad sandwich, but with an extra step. And then I got like, <laughs> I got like a lot of likes and some comments. And then this one girl came at me. I'm just like, why are you calling him out? I'm like, why are you calling me out? <laughs> Like, oh, I'm, you got, you I'm not too old to start an internet battle. Social I'll do media it. media war. Yeah, don't step to me, 14-year-old. I'll, I'll take you. <laughs> but no, it just oh annoyed me. Like, why is he getting paid? Why is he... Why? Why? He made an egg salad sandwich and added an extra step. That is not helpful. Yeah, to this yeah. day, it's, it's, I still don't understand social media. I don't either. As we as we drink to the end of Twitter, which is falling apart this weekend, and my thought exists by the end of next week. <laughs> Jesus, drink. So um. Okay. Anyway, talk about ahead. capitalism rampant. There's gremlins on the Twitter. Okay, so <laughs> they're just they're just tweeting. I'm like, ha 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 ha. They just took over Twitter. It's yeah. awesome. <laughs> um. Meanwhile, while they're in their little pods, we have. Patient Zero, or, yeah, right? Well, actually, Gizmo's Patient Zero. So, meanwhile... Oh, that's right, because he takes one of them to the... To the, to the our only African-American actor in the movie. And the first to die. I'm like, Stephen, you're better than that. Joe Dante, you're better than that. <laughs> <laughs> it made me think of uh, Beyonce's stepdaddy, Richard Lawson in Poltergeist. Yes. Billy goes to him with his mogwai. He's like, you believe me, I trust you. Let's run some experiments. And then... He dies. He's the first human to die because he's eating a sandwich 
And the refrigerator is right behind him. And he just sets the, the sandwich down in front of the cage. I'm like, dude, you know better than that. What you doing? And then he leaves. And then that mogwai, so because he ate after midnight, turns into a gremlin and then mm-hmm. kills him. And as a child, I remember it being more scary because it was like the film is flickering. And then he dies and they show like this little syringe on his butt. <laughs> I'm like, oh. Yes. Oh, okay. <laughs> That's how he went. Interesting. Yeah. <laughs> And which we should mention right here that Joe Dante has a fabulous sense of humor. He reminds me of Joel Schumacher in so many ways. Joe Dante, yes. he's and, he's a trip. <laughs> what are you going to say? And Corey's in both movies, uh, right? Oh! Corey's an inspiration to both Joel For and Lost Boys Joe. And yes. Yeah, so Joe Dante got this because Spielberg saw him do Piranha. And Piranha yes. was a clear ripoff of Jaws. And when people asked Joe Dante about this, Spielberg would defend him. He's like, oh, it's a parody. It's a parody. And Joe's like, mm, it's a ripoff. He's like, they're right. <laughs> <laughs> and to make the connection even crazier, James Cameron's first movie is Piranha 2, The Spawning. And that's where he came from. <laughs> I didn't that's know that. very first movie. Yes. Wow. Nobody knows that. Before Terminator. Which came which out in 84. That year. Yeah. Which came out in 84. <laughs> So they're all connected through that. I did not Joe Dante know that. connects wow. Spielberg and Cameron. And and so I I also like I, I love Joe Dante and Howling. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Burbs. He's yes. he's a horror comedy guy. I typically don't seek out horror comedy, but when it's done so well, like Schumacher or Dante, I, I'm just I'm in. It's just so fun. You can't have a bad time. You have to have both of them work. So let's talk a little bit about horror comedy because now I'm going right. to interject something because yes. I just saw a horror comedy called The Menu, oh. which is a masterful combination of the you two things. You loved it. You loved it. I movie. really loved it. It's really, to me, it it really reminded me of what a good horror comedy is, which is, which I guess Scream is also considered mm. a good horror comedy, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, the OG Scream. You have to have both things work. So you have horror it's like purely horror scared thing and then comedy it's it's you don't put them in the same thing you go one beat and then the other beat and this movie does that too right it has the horror moments and then it has the comedy moments because both horror and comedy they're pressure cookers the suspense or the situation is heightened to such a moment that you have to release and And then the punchline right in terms of the joke right yes then comes the punch, the build up on the punchline. So this is so the menu is this one one way it works in this movie is the sequence which I really enjoyed this time of the mother battling all the gremlins from the first batch, I guess <laughs> that were in the house. Yes, with that um, famous "Do you hear what I hear?" that haunted me yes. in my, my childhood. Yeah, and so she she she's such a badass. She kills them all. With uh, all the fucking crazy dad equipment, so the 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 useless inventions of the dad served a purpose. To be great weapons, <laughs> and I was like, "This is amazing." See, it took two she... great minds. It took him to execute it, and it didn't do what he wanted it to. But she's like, "Oh, I see a purpose for this." <laughs> the, that whole sequence was incredible, and I had forgotten about it. I was like, "Oh, she's like her own final girl in the middle of the movie." Did they bring them all down without any help? Uh, up to her going <laughs> like, up the staircase with a knife. So that's why a lot of people would argue that this is a comedy with horrific elements, and I disagree. I think this is a horror with comedic elements. Comedic elements. Two different things. And so she goes up the the stairs with a butcher's knife. She gets attacked from the Christmas tree. I remember being terrified when I was younger. This little gremlin face coming out from, from this wholesome symbol of happiness and purity just like biting at her yeah she fights all of them off and microwaves this one gremlin scanner style the blender like, yeah like, yes. oh yeah it's, it gets really gruesome super quick she has a gnarly scene and then i i read that in one draft they killed the mom and they're like okay this is too dark like they they decapitated her and her head rolled down the stairs interesting right? i think pretty much changed lot the most, toe so almost... they said no most everyone dies in the movie. Like a lot of people die. A lot of the characters die. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, 
And so I was, I was, I, I, at one point I was left wondering, I had to rewind. What happened to Corey Feldman? He disappeared halfway through the movie. And I wonder if they got, I wonder too, they to killed die. the kid and they're like, we're not going to show this, but he was fighting them off and, you know, holding his own, cutting the cord of the Christmas lights as they're all yes. climbing up there and everything. So the gremlins are wreaking havoc on the town. And also because it's done so conveniently, we're not very scared. It's kind of cathartic. Because they're a little anarchist. They're just laughing and they're so funny. They they are parodying people up to being like Christmas carolers, to being, uh, they're drunk at the bar. They're at the drawing room and Phoebe Cates yes. is yes, the serving Phoebe the Cates drinks. Bar. I love it. I was like, <laughs> and they're, they're just like having the best time. And I was laughing so hard. They have like little personalities and they just delight in being agents of chaos, which especially the drawing room scene. I wrote, I was like, this is me and G in West Hollywood. Like we're so cute and cuddly before 10 PM. And then after two, we are eating, we're rolling around on pavements. We're laughing. We're just being we're like, ha, like we're just insane after 2 AM. And I was just like, I, I get this. I kind of align with the gremlins at this point. Um, it's the after hours party. <laughs> um, as the gremlins are wreaking havoc. One of the things that I noticed is when they're, um, which I think is something that in the second movie he picks up more, when they're doing the caroling, the Christmas caroling, mm -hmm. they're actually singing the soundtrack of the movie. And it's kind of like this meta moment. Oh, that na na, like, na 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 yeah. na Which is a catchy tune. Yeah, which is, and I was like, and I think the meta elements come back in the second movie. I haven't rewatched it. We'll do that at a later time. Mm -hmm. um, Guys, okay, so, so Gremlins 2, that is definitely happening on this podcast. I only watched five minutes of it because I've seen this movie so many times. I, I went, wait a minute, Gremlins 2? I watched five minutes. They have a Trump character. His name is Clamp. Yes. <laughs> So it was like we that needs it is it's all in its its own episode. thing. I just remember the hooker gremlin. She was my favorite. <laughs> and it takes place in New York and it's Yeah, and Joe Dante says that's unpack. his favorite. Joe Dante was like, This is so silly and so funny, and they let me go balls to the wall. They were crazy for a sequel, so we gave it to them and I had all artistic license. And he's a funny dude. He is so funny. So yeah. And it and he yeah, he kinda considered it's considered kind of like the Godfather part two of of better, the gremlin universe the so to speak yes that's better than the first do you want to talk about the movie theater scene or are we yeah, like, jumping ahead nope nope it's not that deep <laughs> okay so in the movie theater scene there is this element where we become the gremlins like like we're because if i kept thinking if i am in 1984 watching this movie in the movie theater you're watching this rowdy movie theater with the gremlins and you're the rowdy movie theater it's like a mirror and so, and they're wreaking havoc and they're watching Snow White. It's just kind of making a joke. Like, oh, you thought this was going to be a cute movie, huh? And I don't know. There was something very interesting about I... the self-reflexivity of it all. Oh, I like that. Self <laughs> Say that one more time. Self-reflexivity self of it all. Is that the name of your new <laughs> album? That sounds amazing. Self-reflexivity <laughs> self of it all. <laughs> yes. So um, when they're in the movie theater, they're living their best lives in the movie theater and watching Snow White. And I took this to what you just said of, um, you know, kind of talking to the terrified parents of, I thought we were seeing like a Jim Henson creation. What the fuck is this? My child's going to be traumatized. And then also remarking on the capitalism of Disney because Disney mm -hmm. is just like, pumping out like is it's sold directly to children it is part of our society if you want your child to love you you take them to disneyland or disney world you show them the disney movies and i'm not saying it's soulless i'm just saying it is part it's a huge stepping stone of our capitalist society i mean i have disney stock i fucking bought disney stock when it was down i'm part of the problem i mean it's, it's part of our society and, and, it's, um, and it's kind of what turns the Mogwais into gremlins, right? Yes, in because way, it's the next generation. Way. And so they're watching this. And, and I also read that, you know, Snow White was a big Christmas movie back in the day. And they really wanted this to be a Christmas movie. And on that, that subject, I want to talk about alternative Christmas movies. We all know It's a Wonderful Life, Miracle on 34th Street, Christmas Vacation. For me, I love watching The Ref. The Ref with Dennis Leary every year. Oh, it's so fucked yes. up. It's so great. But also, another director that was in contention for Gremlins was Tim Burton. 
And he has done two very important Christmas movies, which are Batman Returns and Edward Scissorhands. And these are very, right? But the only reason why he didn't get the job, like one Spielberg loved Joe Dante from Piranha and was just like, I believe in you. And he was such a pro filmmaker guy back in the day. He was hiring people left and right for... um, Amazing Stories, I think that was the name of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, the series. Yeah, the he was he was writing... Anthology. He, he was hiring unknown writers for Amazing Stories. Um, Joe Dante had Piranha and did it well, and Spielberg responded to it. And he saw Tim Burton's short films, and he was like, I really like this Tim Burton guy. But he wasn't sure that he could do a feature yet. Oh. So that was the only so, thing. So, uh, Tim, uh, what is Tim Burton's first feature? I thought is it was Pee Wee. Is it Pee Wee or Beetlejuice? No, it was Pee Wee. Pee Wee's way before Pee-wee. Beetlejuice. Yeah, Pee Wee's okay, okay. my jam. <laughs> Love Pee Wee. <laughs> but um, yeah, I just thought they were very, um, they very much wanted this to be a Christmas movie. And Christmas is all about consumerism in America. Yes. And this is a, ref- uh, this is a criticism and a reflection of that. But also, I guess you could also read the Gremlins as being like, Innocent children that turn into teenagers. I thought that too for a overnight. second. Overnight. Yeah. Like, right? It was, it's, it's a little bit like, like a hormonal and I, balance. Because I remember sneaking into the movie theater watching horror films like Nightmare on Street 3 and 4. Um, and it's kind of like how I became a teenager. So in that sequence where you see all the gremlins watching the movie, and I just reminded me of sneaking into R-rated movies when oh. I was a teenager. Gotcha. And I was like, oh, this is so fun. <laughs> um <laughs> But you didn't and put the popcorn spirit. the popcorn bucket over your head <laughs> like the gremlins did, right? <laughs> no. Um, and then that whole YMCA um, sequence where they multiply, which is right, right. That's how they all get created. The, the big batch oh, of okay. gremlins well, because the mom killed the original, the OG batch, and then. Well, yes, the mom killed all the ones that were at the house. Yes, the the the. the 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 horde of gremlins that go to the movie theater come from the YMCA. That's right. Where where Stripe does this Stripe cannonball and holds pool. his nose very comically and jumps into the pool and you see the the bubbles and like this really fantastical scene. Again, poltergeist in this. Spielberg's got a thing for pools. I got a thing for yeah. pools. I'm into it. <laughs> Super into it. Sunset Boulevard, that shit up. <laughs> into yes. It. The movie theater scene happens. All the gremlins are going ape shit over Snow White. They're singing along hi-ho in their little demonic voices. And it's also reflective of um, why we call them gremlins. Roald Dahl had the story called Gremlin Lore. And it's about mischievous elves doing damage to the Royal Air Force planes. And that, you know, inspired the Twilight Zone episode with William Shatner where the little gremlin is on the plane. I think of you every time I see that episode of like having anxiety flying. Well, I have to mention something that you clearly did not notice about this movie. There's a certain person in this movie, (gasps) a certain actor. I know! I know! And it blew my mind. And Jack was like, how many times have you seen this movie? I'm like, Mike from Breaking (laughs) Bad was not on my radar when I was a child. Isn't and even the past five years. Like, hey. Yeah, he's so funny. He's so great. I had no idea. It was Oh, I saw his name on the credits. I was like, oh, is Jonathan Banks is in this? Yes, I was like, and Jonathan was Banks? Like, and I immediately went to IMDb. I'm and like, I was like, looking for you. Wait, what? I'm like, just so killed by a gremlin? I was is like, I'm going to recognize him. Yeah, so and then I said, okay, he must be like this old. This is like 30, 40 years ago, almost 40 years ago. So he must have been really young. Well, and, <laughs> and then also, he up, I was like, holy shit. Also, to really That's showcase fine. the comedic ability of Jonathan Banks. He was an airplane back in the day, one of the best That's true. satirical movies of all time. So then, Mike from Breaking Bad and Miracle Saul and the useless sheriff try to go. I, I think um, Billy goes to them first, right? He's like, this is happening. And then they're like, you know, they're like, fucking, what's his face from Jaws? Like, ah, I don't believe it. Oh, yeah, the mayor. Exactly. This is Spielberg point of view. The authorities are useless. Yes, so don't go to them. And again, his criticism of capitalism, which is so strong throughout all of his 80s stuff up until the Holocaust enters the picture. Right. Um, And they even have Gizmo with the American flag, and he looks all pissed off. He's like, meh. And then... (laughs) And then they go, they cut to the scene where Dick Miller is, you know, he's the crotchety drunk at Phoebe Cates' bar. 
with the wife that is just like blind eye to everything in the world. And they make this pointed thing like, you know, he's like, oh, he's an alcoholic. He's kind of a dick, all this stuff. And they make this pointed shot of before the snowplow is driven into his house by a gremlin, there's a picture of Nixon on the wall. They're just like, don't feel bad. This is this kind of guy. <laughs> I, I never got that before this viewing. I was like, "Oh, well, that's a statement." No, no, this is this is the, the warning against the the evils of capitalism. <laughs> capitalism, which I guess we're seeing the effects today, right? It was yeah. all kind of falling apart and reconfiguring. God knows what <laughs> is happening. So, I guess, yeah, I never realized that all of Spielberg's filmography is really a criticism of Reaganism. Yeah. So and this movie is all about that, right? So then the the gremlins also go to the 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 real estate lady's house and throw right. They fuck with her little chair and she flies out the window, <laughs> which stayed in my mind as a child. Dies. Didn't it do that to you too? <laughs> yes. And I realized when she she goes around a little bit too many times from that staircase, <laughs> and there's only one flight. Did you notice that? Yes. Like, the house is not that big. <laughs> but it's hilarious, not the last. And also, where exactly does this movie take place? Because as a child. Oh, that's a good question. Do you do you know or do you have like an assumption? No, no, I um I don't, but I remember for some reason my mind went to like the Dexter reboot where they live in upstate New York. Yes. That's okay. I was like, as an older person, I went there too. I'm like, oh, they're outside of New York in some kind of smaller town, like you know like buffalo yeah yeah i was thinking like oh maybe they're in buffalo like where where joe's from maybe they're in pennsylvania as a child i am sorry i am from georgia i don't know what the fuck snow is about if you were in a movie and it was snowing you were in chicago that's it that's the only place for me i was like you're in chicago (laughs) like home alone chicago uh christmas story you're in chicago really they're indiana but (laughs) But what's funny is that this was shot on the Back to the Future lot. So it still has that California feel to me. (laughs) So I'm like, are they in Burbank? But global warming was different then? And (laughs) I really (laughs) felt that. So yeah, Kingston Falls or wherever they are is Marty McFly land. It's the same strip. So let's take a moment to comment about that. I think the cinematography of this movie is very unique. Because it's very dark, mm-hmm. very colorful and dark. It's a very dark movie. A lot mm. of, it, it, I don't know, I, there's not that many movies that feel the way this movie feels. Maybe E.T. a little bit. Okay, yeah, darker I see that. Okay. Um, but I and remember, a lot of these movies I watched on VHS in the 80s, which was even more lo-fi, and then the, having these scenes that are lit very darkly with colors, with reds. They looked a certain way on mm-hmm. VHS, and I have a very specific memory. So actually watching it now on HD, and I, and I, I have a projector at home. Mm-hmm. So I don't think I had seen it on a big screen when I at home on a big screen at home like this. Yeah, I know. I watched so, I watched this on the projector too, just to the be projector like, too, right? I, I wanted I to like, get that eighties <laughs> child feel. I'm like I'm the front row in my own <laughs> movie theater. <laughs> So I was like, which makes me wonder. I don't know. You, and you I realize we are this. part of the problem right now. We are talking about capitalism. We want our own movie theaters in our house. Like, exactly. guys, we're not we're not rich. <laughs> we just amp up our entertainment purchases. But That's it. <laughs> we, well, yes, and my projector was very inexpensive. Yes, I I talked to Munchie about this because she has a projector too. Yes, in get a projector, people. If you Projectors love films, everywhere. you don't have to go to the movie theater at all. Just stay at home and watch it in high quality. I know, and. Although I do like going to the, I like going to the movies, you know, having my drink, like when I went to see the menu, like I love, I still love doing that. And I know things are changing, mm-hmm. they're streaming and everything's streaming. Um, but definitely once you go projector, you don't go You back. don't go back. You don't. I just love the mood that the, it's very special. The mood that the movie creates. It's like winter wonderland at night. Well, I want to ask you this. This is where your PhD comes into play, young man. Okay. Because of all of these dark, fantastical movies came out in a flurry in 1984, Mm -hmm. do you think it is the result of the previous generation of like, we have our baby boomers and we have Vietnam, the horrors of Vietnam, and they think that the next generation can take it? They offer like this 
form of violence and then add some puppets to warn the next generation kind of like hey things are cuddly and sweet but they're not 50s cuddly and sweet they're not howdy doody leave it to beaver sweet we fought in a very ugly war our government failed us let's position you in a way where you can still dream but not be utterly helpless if your expectations fail interesting because you're right that the 80s have in fact, I want to bring something up right now. You brought this PhD up. I see something Quentin Tarantino said in an interview just a couple of days ago. Mm-hmm. He said that the moment that we're living right now. Oh, the worst time in cinema. The worst time in cinema. <laughs> yeah. And he compared it to the 80s and the 50s. Hmm. And I thought I was like, wow, interesting. So the, for in Tarantino's timeline, the 80s were not a good time. Hmm. Because, you know, it comes in contrast with the. The 70s, which had all these like well, big filmmakers. And right? the gritty shit that and he loves. And that's what he loves. He loves right? the gritty shit. But yeah. we and are. That's his childhood too. Yeah. Whereas our childhood is the 80s. And I was like, oh, Quentin, how dare you talk so badly about the 80s? And and so, and I have, I've told you the same thing. I think we're right now, we're in the, the thing that connects to the 80s, right? That's why we have Stranger Things and all these like mm. looking back at the 80s things. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're living in a very dark time where we have to find ways to dream. Escapism, so I think, yeah. I think, yes, it's it's the idea that the, the 80s, and Jim and I were talking about this because we were watching the new American Horror Story, which was all about AIDS. And we were like, you know, we, we idolized the 80s and like, that's like with the music that's so like soulful and like happy and like power ballads. But it's really a Because everybody's really on coke. Everybody's having time. the best fucking time. <laughs> But at the same time, everyone's dying and all this shit's going. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of crime and things are. It's a really, really dark time. But we think of it as as a very fantastical, magical time, Mm -hmm. right? So it's exactly what you just said. It's because the world is so dark, our dreams are much more potent because that's where we live. And in fact, I read something about um, right now. What was it? This, This movie came out this weekend that bombed. That's you know about this. Which one? The Harvey Weinstein movie. She said, oh, she said, which I, <sighs> which is supposed to be apparently amazing, but it bombed. And someone said it's because people at this in these dark times they want to go to the movies to dream. They don't want to go to the movies to see reality. You know, so I I like are back not going that. To work. I absolutely back that because, and I don't want to be one of those the book was so good kind of people. But I will say, whenever she said came out, I got it the, the weekend that it came out because I'm like, I need to know how this Weinstein shit went down because whenever I moved to town, I had heard the rumors and I was a nobody. I was like this little 19-year-old from Georgia. And, 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 and I heard all this stuff about yes, Kevin Spacey. Yes, you heard Spacey. about Kevin Spacey. We know people and I went to a Brian Singer party. I, like, I We were witnesses with like, we were younglings. And- I like... 20 degrees of separation we still knew about this yeah imagine the people who were closer exactly and and so reading she said it's phenomenal because it's also like yeah roman pharaoh brought a lot of this to light but these two female journalists like really went through fucking hell to bring the story to light like they went through so much to really get this published it could have ended them and i see this and i i am invested i will see it but I agree with that. It's the reason why I'm not watching The Handmaid's Tale right now. It is too mm-hmm. close to my reality. I do. I, I it's just, I want to escape. But, but at the same time, you just mentioned something which reminds me also how movies in Spain during the dictatorship were like this. If you're using allegory mm-hmm. and like symbols like Gremlins does, right? Gremlins is essentially an allegory about capitalism r- running rampant. Mm-hmm. Then audiences will go they need that they need that catharsis through the narrative that's more like symbolic Mm. right and so i think this is where the menu was a huge hit this Mm -hmm. weekend Mm -hmm. works because the menu is about our times in many ways but it's done in this like fun thriller horror comedy allegory kind of way what we need is something that's not on the nose exactly we can't deal with the reality but we can deal with 
the allegory of reality because well, we do need to process it. We do need to process it. So from from your film history, I can't remember the name of Scorsese's first short film, but what put him on the map was like this whole thing of a man shaving himself. It was a short film. Oh, yes. Yes. And it was like classical music and what Tarantino would fucking love. It was like classical music and he's shaving himself and it turns into this bloody thing of him with a straight razor and it was supposed to be a response to the Vietnam War. And that mm-hmm. was picked up mm-hmm. in a short film. So it's like we want, we're ready for that. But when it's just so verbatim and so kind of almost like a new cycle or or a fresh or a hot take. But somebody, who was it? We were producing like a Trump biopic and they canceled it. Good. You hear about this? <laughs> I know. Good. Good. No one wants to see that. Don't want to see it. No one <laughs> wants care. to see that. No matter how good Anthony Hopkins will be in it or whoever. <laughs> Uh, with if it's Hannibal Lecter as Trump, <laughs> then that, and then talking but, to Hillary through like a, a case, like that could be an interesting parody. But like, no, it's I, I don't want to see can't, any... that movie cannot be made until a lot of until he has died and a lot of time has passed. Yeah. It's almost like he, and because it's too, nobody would go see it. It would be a huge bomb. Hmm. And so I think this is what happened with Cheesehead. So which brings us back to Gremlins. Which is where we want to deal with what's right in front of us—the darkness of the '80s. It's like the baby boomers that sold out. I think somebody, I think it was Stephen King. Oh, the all the baby boomers sold out and became these like, you know, they were like the hippies protesting the war, and then they became like the yuppies, yep. right? And so, like, yeah, like we talked about on the the poltergeist. They all sold to corporate America, mm-hmm. and I think Remnants is about. The children that come out of that, yes, so to speak, yes. right? It's about the teenagers. It's about the Billy. next generation. The next generation. Like that's why I think it's an environmental movie, and this is why the setting of winter kind of also hits home. It's it's talking about global warming. There's and disease, which and is all why this it stuff. could be in California. Yes, <laughs> in the eighties, they're like you California's gonna right. look like this. It's the day after tomorrow in California. <laughs> I want to talk about Phoebe Cates. Okay, yeah, let's talk about. Let's talk Phoebe. about Phoebe Cates. Um, we already have the mom established as a badass in this movie. Phoebe Cates is a wholesome girl working at the bank and working at a bar, and into Billy, little wholesome G golly Billy. And I read a lot of frustrating things about the casting of Phoebe Cates, that because of Fast Times at Ridgemont High. You know, they're like, oh, she's a sex symbol. She's too sexy. And they're like, no, she's wholesome, whatever. And then I listened to a couple of podcasts um, with these dudes. It it was like the Halloween-y thing. These dudes just didn't get the point of Gremlins. And they they were like, oh, if if they cast somebody else, like Winona Ryder or somebody. Like, they want this dark girl. Like... No, come on. Yeah. Just because they watch Edward Scissorhands and Beetlejuice and they're like, oh, she should have been in everything. Now. Yeah. And, and But the thing is, they were not intelligent enough to really get the depth of Phoebe Kate's character. She's wholesome. She's working two jobs. She's cheerful as fuck. And that is like such a thing thrown upon women. Like, got to put your best face on because otherwise you're a bitch. You have it hard. But if you throw some attitude, you're a bitch. And... There's that one scene where Billy's like, Christmas, gee golly, da da da. And, and she's like, I don't like it. I don't like it. And she makes this weird. Yeah. Yes, and she tells her traumatic story. So, oh my God. I, I wrote this, this whole thing about this scene. I was, I didn't remember this part. I was like, <gasps> so what? No. this is like a Tarantino moment. Oh, yes. Yeah. This stuck with me as a child because I did not have the best childhood. This stuck with me. And some people wanted her to be cast on the nose like a Lydia Dietz character. To be like she's morose because of this terrible thing that happened to her. So I thought it was brilliant casting and also a great character in the script where she's doing the best she fucking can. And then she's like, I don't like Christmas. Don't like it. Don't care. It's not part of my personality. And then Billy presses her because his life is so perfect with his his parents that are still married and his dog and his upbringing. Um, She's like, yeah. She goes into the monologue about how her father died on Christmas because he crawled down the chimney dressed as Santa and what was it? Did he have he, a... I think he fell and broke his neck. Yes. So yeah, yeah he, he fell and he broke his neck and then they were trying to light the fire and something didn't smell quite right. Like it's pretty grotesque. Again, 
horror movie and the, with and comic then it, the whole elements. her whole monologue was a horror movie they, they waited for five days yeah it ruined christmas and then she ends her monologue and that's how i found out that santa claus was not real and, and then it's like, a hard cut to the next scene like they <laughs> yeah. don't even, there's not even a reaction you just move on with life because that's what she did that was her reality that's what shaped this this girl and i love that and appreciate that as an older person. I remember seeing that as a younger person and going, oh, she has depth. Like I have depth. I remember being, that's a good female character role model. She's a girl with trauma that is sharing it with somebody. And I read that Joe Dante fought for his life for that monologue to be kept into the movie. And Spielberg was such a pro filmmaker guy. He did not like the monologue. He did not like the scene. But because he had told Joe Dante, he said, you know what? I trust you. I trust your vision. We'll keep it in. And both Spielberg and Dante battled for that to keep, like, to, to be kept into the film. And he won. And I think it's imperative for the movie. Joe Dante's argument was, this is what the movie is about. Like, we have horror. We have comedy. It's deep but it's silly. We, we got to keep the balance. And that was his entire argument. He fought ferociously for that scene. So I'm very happy that he won. And I'm glad that Spielberg backed him. And wow. just hard cut. We didn't see Billy's dumb face. Be like, what? <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't know what to do with a woman like that. And then they caught this. Is, is this at the, they're already at the... So this is where they're going to the movie. Yeah, they're going to the movie theater. Blow up that theater. They blow up the theater. Stripe is having a a snack attack, and he runs across the the street to get candy. And he sees all of his... He's the only one who survives. He's the only one. The leader is the only one that survives, which could be a kind of a... Like a Hitler reference, maybe? Mm Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So he goes over to the department store that sells everything from guns to candy to duvet covers to Barbie cars. The store is nuts. The store is crazy to me. And it has a fountain inside. Oh, yeah. And there's a fountain. And then with like these, this amazing window that, yeah. Anyways. <laughs> so they go in. And it's a little frustrating, this final battle. Because neither Phoebe or Billy can figure out how the fuck to kill Stripe. It's on to Gizmo. Mm-hmm. It's Gizmo's responsibility. And because he watched a classic car movie with Clark Gable in it, like a racing car, he gets to the Barbie the Barbie dream car, the Barbie Ferrari. Yes. <laughs> and it's so cute and so adorable. And Jack was like, wait a minute. Those cars don't operate that way. I'm like, we're talking about gremlins and mogwais. <laughs> this is <laughs> suspension of disbelief. <laughs> so um, so Gizmo's there, Paul Newman in it, up, <laughs> driving around the department yes. store. And then Billy's getting his ass kicked by Stripe. Stripe sees a fountain. He wants to procreate more. And and Billy tries to stop him. He has a baseball bat. There's this whole battle that happens in the sporting goods section. A chainsaw comes out, Jason style. Oh, and also, mm-hmm. um, I had some moments of The Shining in this too. Yes, which is also another winter movie. Yeah. Right? So Stripe comes at him with the chainsaw on the baseball bat, getting his ass kicked. Phoebe's trying to find a way to activate the lights. And it's up to Gizmo, and he jumps up and pulls down the shades, and the sunlight skylight. comes in. Yeah. And that murders, and this stayed with me too as a child. Like, it's such a gruesome effect. It's almost like The Fly. I remember yeah. like, this became a Cronenberg movie all of a sudden. Body horror. Yeah. And, and I don't know if it's Gremlins or Gremlins 2 that Rick Baker makeup. Oh, maybe the makeup. Extraordinaire ah. is a producer. So I can't remember if it was the first or the second, but I was like, wait, that Rick Baker? Like, what the fuck? But, that um, makes sense. But yeah, monster movie. This is a monster movie. And so Stripe is melting liquid in the eyeballs. Like, it's just really gruesome. And then, and no, no, and then, so I, this is a death that reminds me of, like, when the Terminator dies at the end of Terminator. Oh, right? yeah. Right, that takes a very long time, and he's still kind of clawing in there, and then also the fly. Yeah. Um, which I think is 86. Hmm. So definitely the monster movies of the 80s fit this the, the death of Stripe. Um, also, there's an element of vampirism to these gremlins because of the light thing, which oh. when he died, I was like, oh, they're like vampires. But they ain't sexy. Um, they're a- <laughs> But they got the faux hawk. <laughs> 
Um, <laughs> so he dies, and then I want to come to our theme of themes: useless Rick T. The dad misses the entire movie, which I never realized. He's he never makes it to Christmas. He comes the next day. Well, I guess in the morning of Christmas. Okay. But. Yes. I want to say he's not useless correcty. He's he's asshole correcty. He makes choices. No, correcty <laughs> and Gabriel Byrne from Hereditary, they're useless. They're just like, what the fuck do I do? And they're just like so dumb. This guy makes choices. He knows He's being an asshole. He knows he's a failure. They have that scene where he's selling the smokeless ashtray to the guy that clearly has emphysema. He's coughing yes. his fucking face off and he's selling it. He's like, you need this, buddy. Like, he's making a choice. He is a bad person. He is a bad family man. He represents the capitalism. Yes. He knows what he's wrong. doing. He knows what he's doing. He's capitalism not gone wild. <laughs> like a girl gone wild. Um, and then... Um, the grandfather, the guy who comes to, when he comes to pick up the uh, gizmo at the end, he says, "Oh, I already went to that gas station." Oh yeah, he's like, "I've been there, done that." This guy tries to sell me the shit. <laughs> he tried to resell. Yeah, thing. like he knew it was useless <laughs> after thirty seconds. He knew it was a gimmick. So, stripes dies. Saves the day. Saves the day. Gizmo saves the day. That that shows up like, hey, what's going on? Like he would like he was pulled an all nighter making it home. I, I know. know from the convention. And Remember mom he was like is a weird fine. convention. Mom is fine. I would not. Mom has be a fine. little band day, but she's fine. Ugh. She took care of it. I would not um, be fine. And then in comes back Grandpa from the beginning to be like, you fuckers, and it's a little bit like a um the end of a. a like one of those short stories, like the monkey's paw, which oh, Jordan Peele loves, Jordan right? Peele, yeah, yeah. It's like it's like a little bit of like the end of a short horror story where like there's a lesson involved, right? He comes in and he's like, "Nope, you don't deserve this. You don't deserve to have this mogwai. I'm mm-hmm. taking him back. Mm-hmm. You're not ready." Um, and I think what you said at the beginning when we started talking about this. It's the idea that they're all like children, even the parents. They're not the the society as a whole, American society as a whole, has not entered a grown up stage. Yeah. Where they can handle the responsibility of nature. Right. More prophetic words were never uttered, right? Because as we've seen, um, how many, 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 many years after that, Al Gore is not president. And here we are dealing with earth, wind, fire. <laughs> And the whole world is falling apart because we should have listened to Grandpa Gremlin. Grandpa Things Gremlin. Would have gone a different way. <laughs> <laughs> the Grandpa from Gremlin. But no, but but Echo's poltergeist and and that this land was stolen. You guys are trying to capitalize on it and trying to make it exactly. the most, and you're ruining it. And he's like, <laughs> it bears a lot of responsibility. So he packs up Gizmo. And then he says, oh, he, he wants to talk to you and has this prophetic thing. I'm just like, you know, Billy's like, oh, you can understand him. And he's just like, yeah, but, you know, you, you can listen to somebody and understand them. Empathy, kid. And then, you know, Gizmo just the cute little, bye, Billy. And, and another thing that bothered me this entire time, I mean, I was not on Billy's side. This viewing, I was like, "You little entitled teenage shit!" This entire time, <laughs> and and whenever he's like, "Bye, Billy," da da da, that the, the kid looks so confused and surprised that somebody's taking Gizmo away from him, and it's like, "No, no, no!" You were clearly not a Check great your little owner. white privilege at the door. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> so, um, yeah. So then, then there's that beautiful shot he the grandfather uh, has him and the moon is full and he's walking down the street a little exorcist action yes honestly, yes walking down the street with his little mugwine he's like laughing and talking to him and they're they, they clearly have a bond it's like a cute little thing of you know gizmo's going off to a better place 
Going back where he built and nature. Nature is, is restored. <laughs> so for wrapping up our holiday party, gee, what what Christmas our things? Boozy party. A boozy party. What other things you got going? What have I got going for Christmas? Well, I'm gonna spend Christmas here in Santa Clara, California. Mm-hmm. My California, Northern California Christmas, where it is not that cold, mm-hmm. hopefully. Um yeah, and usually, so in terms of the holidays, I like chill holidays. I like going to the movies and like having drinks and not dry, not flying anywhere. Like, I'm gonna stay in and eat chicken thingies after midnight with my projector <laughs> and be a gremlin on my own. <laughs> That's what I got going. I love that. I think it's awesome. What are you? What are you? Oh, I know where you're going. You're going to Wisconsin. <laughs> right? It's going to be cold there. I, I don't want to humble it? brag. Don't want to humble brag about it. <laughs> so everyone, I'm, I'm Jack and I are going to, um, it's his 40th birthday. It's been a year with like a lot of death, sadly. And we, we just need a vacay. So um, we're going somewhere and I'm completely gaslighting him of where we're going. It's kind of fun. <laughs> so we're, we're going somewhere spectacular and fun and saved up my, my points and my monies and it's, it's going to be great. And uh, I just say like, we're going to Wisconsin. We're going to Wisconsin. We're going to see Milwaukee. And they're not going to Wisconsin. <laughs> but no, we're not going there. And In fact, they're not going to something, someplace cold at all. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> I'm, I'm packing sweaters. <laughs> <laughs> and then like last night, I was just like, oh, let's watch the White Lotus. Let's go to Italy because we're going to Italy on the White Lotus. And then like halfway through the episode, he's like, are we going to Italy? I'm like, no, we're not. We're, we're actually not. I'm just like red herring him left and right with everything. <laughs> Oh, so he has no idea. I love it. I, don't I love think it. We he can't does. reveal in this episode. No, we'll reveal we'll in the next to episode. It. After yeah. you go yeah. to Wisconsin. <laughs> to Wisconsin. <laughs> it's been really fun learning about Wisconsin this entire time. It's I'm like, we're going to go to Liberace's birthplace. <laughs> and Madison. We're going to go to Madison, find out what those green packers are about. OMG. So, anyways, so if you like gremlins, much like Joe Dante kind of parodied. Spielberg with Jaws and made Piranha, he got his own kind of upcomings. We had Ghoulies. We had Critters. Yes. We had this whole oh my string God. of little cute I monsters. Yes. So this movie spawned a whole genre. Yeah. And in fact, that's also spawned Leonardo DiCaprio, who starred in Critters 3. That was his I first know. Movie. And Jennifer Aniston was in and Leprechaun. Leprechaun. Which is also a spawn of this movie. So, so there you go. Hello. You wouldn't have Friends or Titanic without the Gremlins. I think that's that's the best note to end on. <laughs> well, with that being said, happy holidays. I hope everybody celebrates. And um, if you participate in consumerism, which I do, I'm trying not to be part of the problem, but I do. I like to buy things and give them to people. Just don't eat after midnight. <laughs> Laugh chaotically. Don't cause harm. I don't know. Help me end this, G. I don't know how to end this. <laughs> but do eat chicken thingies because they're delicious. It's okay. It's okay to sometimes eat after midnight and have some fun and let loose. Just don't kill the environment. No. This <laughs> is a disaster. Wait. What are the lessons of the gremlins that we need to take with us in this holiday period? Number one. The holidays are not about spending. They're about friends. They're about hot toddies by the fire and stories that you tell, right? And they're also about about going to the bar and going to movies if you're part of the Gremlin problem. (laughs) Going to the movies. But these are all experiences that you get to share with other people. That's true. And not buy bullshit, gizmo shit that the... Uh, useless dad. Yeah, dad don't be movie. don't be a deadbeat dad. Don't buy, buy something on machines. Christmas Eve. <laughs> don't buy things. Give yourself experiences because oh. that's really what you're going to take with you <gasps> as you move on into the next year. That is really nice. I really like that. And that's the lesson of the gremlins. That's the lesson of the gremlins. <laughs>
Yes. All right. Happy holidays, everybody. Thanks for listening to us. Bye.